All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined of course by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And today is current events Monday. We are breaking down some interesting subject matter. There is uh, there's a lot to, to talk about, uh, but we're going to summarize some of the latest abortion uh, uh, things. Yeah, I'm so sophisticated with words. Yeehaw. Things that happened this past week. Um, and uh, yeah, delve into, delve into some of that and then um, hopefully discuss it a little bit. And we want to get your feedback on some of those things. Um, so send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. If you have more articles or if you have uh, additional insights or if we didn't cover something you thought we should have covered, that is really interesting. Send it our way. We'd love to hear about it. Um, but then after we cover those, uh, abortion related things, <clears throat> I refuse to come up with a better word before the end of this, this episode is not happening. Um, we are then going to move on to theological wrap-up for today, which is covenant love for covenant children, and hopefully it connects somehow. I think it does. I could explain the weird rabbit trail of how I got there with this wrap-up, but um, maybe I'll leave that to your imagination and see if you can figure it out. <laughs> I think it fits. All right. What's that? I think it thanks, Jake. I think it fits, too. So... Today, we are doing all that, but before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week, and our verse this week is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, so that's our passage this week. This passage says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Again, that's Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. So we've talked about this verse a lot in the past. Um, a large portion of that time was actually when we went through a book that I think I have handy here. Is it? Yes. This was unplanned, but just remembered. Yes, it's right here. <laughs> we went through this um, almost two years ago. But uh, the Confessional County is wow. a, yeah, right? <laughs> Jake's like, wow, how in the world? Time flies. <laughs> um, the Confessional County is a, is a tremendous book by Raymond Simmons. We highly recommend you check it out. We read through it and broke it down on the show. So if you're looking for that, you can check out our Confessional County series, which is available on trdshow.net. So get caught up on those chapters. But anyways, great stuff in here. Large part of what a Raymond Simmons in this book talked about was related to this verse, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, that he will also reap. Huge part of that is we understand the law of causality. We understand what we, what we sow, what we plant, what we do in the times that no one's watching, maybe, or when people are watching, what we plant in small seeds will reap in larger consequences. They can be positive or negative, right? So you can plant seeds of hard work, you can plant seeds of diligence, you can plant seeds of doing uh, diligent work in a place where no one is ever going to see it, but you know 
that if you didn't do it this way, God would know that this was not done well. And you know that it's more important to plant good seeds no matter who's watching you than it is to get credit for that work. And so you do that work. And that's, that's planting. And then God will choose how you reap from that. It may be you've just avoided consequences that you wouldn't have if you were not diligent. Maybe two weeks later, a demolition project was called up on that pipe you just ran in the wall that no one would have ever seen. But if you weren't diligent in how you ran that, everyone gets to see that two weeks later when you thought this will never be shown, right? No one will ever see the insides of this wall. Who knew, right? Little things like that, but so much more. I mean, when you talk about selfishness, being selfish of your time, of your skills um, within the church, not giving to your church when you know you could have, or just helping people in your church or that you see on the street that require help. And you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I'm too busy. It's so tempting today to say that, right? I mean, all of us live ridiculously busy lives. I think statistically we're the most busybody people that have ever existed, right? Um, it's so easy to say, no, I don't have time to help you right now. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And you, you might be sorry, but that's not enough. You have to reap. You have to, you plant seeds you have to sow those seeds and you understand the law of causality. You know that you'll sow something, but maybe that sowing is just God's favor. Maybe that sowing is showing your love back to God for what he did for you. Maybe it's a material blessing. Maybe it won't be. You don't know. And that's not for you to decide. But I think that this, this law of causality, this reap what you sow language is tremendous. And when Jake picked this out, I was like, hey, this is great. And since Jake picked this out, you want to tune in on Wednesday to hear why he picked this out and uh, what some of his <laughs> interesting observations are on this. I know I'm looking forward to that. So, all right. All that being said, it's time to get into our current events for today, which means um, I'm going to pass it over to Jake because he's got a list of things that happened this week that are current, that are events. And uh, he's going to tell us about that. So what do you got? Well, this week, especially given the events that happened, it's, it's nothing all too surprising or um, new, really. This has been going on for a long time. But I wanted to take this time to talk about, a, I have it listed in my um, notes as abortion basics. Um, so in most recent events, uh, there have been a lot of lawsuits and those lawsuits pertain to abortion. So I figured I would take some time and give everyone a quick refresher on the data and the facts of, of abortion. Uh, and before I go into some of those, like, just brief little data points, I want to cover what are these lawsuits, what do they entail, what's, what's in them. Um, first... In Idaho, several mothers and doctors are suing the state for not having enough exemptions to their abortion ban. So wow. they didn't say, they didn't say, well, if such and such, such and such happens, you can have an abortion. Or if it's after <laughs> so many weeks, you can have an abortion. If it's before so many weeks, you can have an abortion. You know, what? however exemptions they want to get around, um, however they can get around the law and commit murder. 
Um, Idaho's exemptions are few. Um, The article states that there is one exemption, which is when an abortion is needed to prevent the mother's death. Um, This was a conversation I did kind of want to get into uh, with Bruce is, personally, I don't know where I would stand on an exemption when the mother's life is in danger. Uh, As, you know, when looking through biblical passages, um, understandably, the Bible emphasizes the importance of unborn life um, and born life, both. So would it be, would you save the life of the mother and abort the child or save the child at the expense of the mother? It's, it's definitely a hard discussion to have. Yeah. And if you have any thoughts, Bruce, before I move on. I mean, I don't think that it's ever when you are saving the life of the mother by killing the child you are actively killing the child, right? Right. When you are saving the child, you're not actively killing the mother. You are saying the consequences that God has put in place, has put into motion, when played out to their fullest extent, as we know now, looks to us like it will result in her death. We have no control over that. Other than to say, we can do what we can to save as many lives as possible. The baby is a life. That life does not is not a half a life. It's not a quarter of a life. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, well, this could be life someday. It is a life. And there is no biblical warrant, I believe, to say we can murder that life to save another life. They're both innocent. They've both done nothing wrong. And yeah. one of them involves actively killing. The other one, you could argue, is a passive killing. Right. You are letting the consequences that God has put in motion play themselves out. God is in control of that. We are not. What we are yeah. in control of a, is of saving lives and the life we can save is the baby. So that's where so, I would say, nope, I don't think an exception for uh, that is OK. With that being said, I do want to say later on, um, this is not a situation that comes up as often as people want it want you to think when it comes to injury um or as the article would say risk to the mother's health they mean they mean injury most right i was reading another article that said most if not all of the injuries that a mother could have from giving birth are treatable can be fixed Right. Indeed, if if the option comes to killing the child uh, because the mother feels uncomfortable, right? If it's if it's if we have to kill this child because the mother might feel uncomfortable, or we save the child and the mother goes through some pain that we can treat, that we can fix. I think the answer is save the child, right? Because the consequences are not grave. Like, it's not life-threatening. In this instance, if we're talking about injury, it's not life-threatening. It can be fixed, especially when doctors, especially with our current technology and our ability in the medical industry. We we can fix it. We can treat it. 
There's no need to kill the child. But of course, these these people want an exemption to say when it when it might cause the mother injury, they should be allowed to murder that child. Um, this 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 person in particular that I'm talking about went over from Idaho into Oregon to have the abortion because they wouldn't let her have it in Idaho. And all it said is that the longer she remained pregnant and got closer to being able to have the baby, it would increase the risk to her health. Again, that it, it sounds right. By the way, it sounds. It sounds like it might mean, oh no, death. Right. No, no. If I stay tuned, I will cover something later to to show exactly what when I talk about that the fact that it's a lot less than you think. It really is, and I'll I'll cover that. But also to the fact, I I did want to cover this, and in. In keeping with my theme, my whole theme is that I want to go over some arguments people might use or go over basic abortion facts and basic abortion arguments. So I'm taking this article. It's an article we all kind of know. The fact that they're they're going against abortion. And this is the age-old story of the left attacking the right and the right attacking the left over abortion. This happens all the time. So I figured I would take this and talk about some abortion basics and the basics of the argumentation that they use versus how do we combat it. To the fact, right, that, well, it is a fetus and not technically a human. Yet. Even if that, and again, again, it's a total stretch to say that. There's no scientific backing to show that. But. Let's just give the benefit of the doubt for a second. Even if that child in the mother's womb was just a clump of cells, again, I don't believe that, but benefit of the doubt, let's just give that for a second. I have one question. Does that clump of cells become anything other than a human life? The answer is no. Scientifically, no. Objectively, no. It does not become anything other than a human life. It may mm-hmm. die during childbirth, but it's still a human. It still is a baby. It still is, yeah, human. That, that clump of cells always turns into a human child. So therefore, using simple logic, that clump of cells is human. Or at least turns into human. And if you kill this, these cells, you're stopping a human life from being born. You're completely ending that. So even if you kill the cells, if you don't consider it a human child yet, if you kill the cells, you're stopping a child from being born. Hence, murder. That's murder. Stopping someone from living is murder. Uh, To go back to some some more events, um, the, the lawsuits in Idaho are not the only ones. This is going on in Tennessee and Oklahoma. And they are very similar to the point where I won't give any specific instances or specific um, facts from the article. 
Uh, the Center for Re... Um, sorry, these lawsuits all stem, all three of them, the one in Tennessee, Oklahoma, and in Idaho, all stem from the same organization, and that is the Center for Reproductive Rights. I I understand you should have a civil right to not be told to put chemicals into your body. Now, now I'm moving on to the argument of, well, it's my body, my choice. Um, we should have the rights of, uh, from some, from the civil government level, not to be told to put chemicals into our body, understandably, or you should not be mandated to have meatball surgery. For those wondering, that is transgendered surgery. But the murder of innocent children is where the line is drawn. I I would think that murder would be a hard and fast line, and that the whole world would agree is a line that should never be crossed. Yeah. But, of course, because of think. our Romans one... What is that? Except one would think. Sorry. Yeah. There's a delay. But, of course, because of our Romans 1 culture, we have no morality. I would argue that, this is a small point, I would argue that even meatball surgery should be banned on a civil level if we had a completely Christian culture. That the act of transgendering and mutilating someone's body should not be allowed. But, that's a different topic, and that can be covered some of the time. But, according... Uh, and let me share one last bit of information because I know Boost is probably itching to get to his theological wrap up, um, and it's pretty good. good I, I might add. Um, oh, thanks, dude. Let me share some last bits of information. I, I've kind of been setting it up the entire episode or the entire my entire discussion or current events, whatever. The fact that death in the case of the the mothers. Uh, health is not as often as we might think. Um, but through researching, I wanted to find out how many mothers actually die from childbirth. And let me tell you, the inf- info is entirely against what the spirit of it, spirit of the age wants wants you to believe. According to the CDC, in twenty twenty one. Only 0.0002% of mothers die in childbirth. Hmm. Wow. Let me put that in perspective. That is not just 0.2%. It's not 2%. It's 0.0002%. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> I, I, it was, I think it was 20 people, 20 mothers out of every 100,000 people died in childbirth. 20 out of 100,000, which relates to 0.0002%. And that is specifically in the case of people of mothers under the age of 25. Of course. Oh, Jacob, you idiot. (laughs) I had to put that in. I just had to. Um, Not everyone is under 25 when they have children. That would be, that would be someone 
who was attacking me. But let me just say, again, according to the CDC, any mother within the age range of 25 to 40. Now, look at this number. Look at this number. Only 0.0003% chance of dying. (laughs) Dude, that's, a that's a big increase. increase. I know. <laughs> Completely unrelatable. There's no way. There's no way you could say that those were similar in any way. <laughs> so, with that said, and me putting an end to my rant, there is little to no chance of a mother dying in childbirth. Yep. So, the, the, the health of the mother... If we were to say that if the mother's health was at risk and it actually being at risk, not just injury, but actual health or death, there's little chance of that. But even as Bruce said, we save the child. Not that we intentionally kill the mother, but we save the child as much as possible. Yep. And we'll let God handle the rest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just the idea that a mother could murder her child or even consider that, just the idea that that there are people out there doing that should be unthinkable. And so this got me thinking when I was looking through Jake's doc and thinking through some of these things, how in the world did we get to the point where that's even something someone could consider doing to their child? Then I thought about, well, why, why do they hate children in the, in the culture? Oh, it's because we don't really love children that much in the church. Well, wh- why don't we love children very much in the church? And that brought me to my theological wrap-up for today. Covenant love for covenant children. Um, culture is downstream from the church. One of the things that we've harped on a lot throughout the history of our show can be summarized by the phrase, as goes the church, so goes the culture, which I'm sure you've heard a ton of times on this show. We talk about it all the time. The general gist of this statement is that the church plays a role of dramatic importance in a culture. And that should be pretty obvious, but here's some verses to back it up because we like to show our work around here. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And what's the conditional clause? If my people who are called by my name, quote, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. First, Timothy 3.15. The church is responsible for what happens to the land, which we saw in 2 Chronicles, and it has the responsibility of being the pillar and ground of truth itself. What do you think happens to a house when its load, core load-bearing pillar rots? What happens? Transgenderism, fake dementia-ridden leaders, and uh, millions of innocent babies slaughtered. That's what. Culture and politics are directly downstream of the church and her theology. So if it seems like I'm placing an importance 
and a particular emphasis on a particular section of theology and the church's relationship to it over the last century and a half, you'd be right. It's for a very good reason, I think, because as goes the church, so goes the culture. All right. How the modern church views children. How does the modern church view our children? If we follow the logic outlined above, the best way to understand why our culture is collapsing and most importantly, what to do about it is to understand how our churches today, largely, there's a few exceptions, but largely how our churches today think about children. So you've probably, or maybe you haven't, but I think a lot of people these days have seen the largely bleak statistics. Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of kids in Bible study youth groups no longer attend church within two years of graduating high school. 70% don't go back to church after graduating high school. 70%. That's huge. Many studies say that only 64% of Americans identify as Christian today. When only 50 years ago, roughly 90% of Americans identified as Christian. Major Can I, decline. Sorry, if I may add something real quick. Um, Doug Wilson in his book, uh, Reformed is Not Enough, uh, has an amazing quote. Um, it's he, he was talking about in the Baptist church. Now, if we want to talk about children, the fact that Baptists don't believe children are within the covenant, this is, I think this directly ties with what Bruce is saying, but he was talking about Baptists and saying that, um, he, he had this quote, he said, Baptists perform a sweet, uh, a, a sweeping maneuver across all of the, all of the, um, the Bible study groups and from the younger children, they grab all the kids who are 10 years old and see if they make a profession of faith. If they do, he says they, they continue in faith until they get their driver's license until they're able to drive. And then until they're able to make their own decisions and not being dragged by their parents. Mm -hmm. So in a sense to the same point that, Kids no longer, they don't, they don't want to stay. They're only become coming there because their their parents make them. Yep, yep. Uh, we we've declined and will continue to decline because the church has neglected to instruct present and previous generations about um, about the uh, old and new covenants, specifically the covenantal theology called uh, covenantal succession. The majority of churches in America today are usually one of two things. They're either Baptist or they're what we call Presbyterian in name only when it comes to the implications of the covenant. Baptists have, for the most part, with a few exceptions, given up on the covenantal succession of their children, which is what Jake was just talking about. The glorious truths of this theology of grace have been lost to the ages in most Baptist churches. And unfortunately, you can't take for granted the fact that a Presbyterian church will be much better these days. I mean, I've, I've been at a Presby church where one of the members literally told me he treats his kids just like the heathen, uh, the heathens throughout the process of child rearing. They're just little heathens, he said. Um, and I even heard this preached from the pulpit a number of times in a Presbyterian church. Suffice it to say, I didn't stick around there for too long. <laughs> I was uh, out of that church within a few months. 
The sad thing is that, quote, treat your children, your covenant children like heathens, that theology is running rampant through the bride of Christ like an ugly cancer. Now, the cure is covenantal succession. We will not bring forth children of trouble. The premise behind covenantal succession is that we take Acts 2.39 seriously when it says the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Children are born to saved parents to be treated as a covenant child. They are not to be raised in a way that leaves room for them to figure it out whether they're saved or not. I mean, why does that that sounds normal to you? Figure out whether you're not you're saved. That's that's up to you. If we're truly reformed, we're gonna object to that pretty quickly. Um Treat them as children of the promise and trust scripture when it says parents, quote, shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them, Isaiah 65, 23. And this is a quote, um, there's a really good book, which is The Case for the Christian Family. Um, highly recommend checking it out by Jared Longshore, Pastor Jared Longshore, really good book. Um, and I have a quote from here, which I think sums up a lot of this really well, quote, the key thing that we've forgotten is that children are a heritage from the Lord. God says so through the wise king Solomon. Quote, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Psalm 127, verse 3. This text teaches that God himself gives children. And that's case for the Christian family on page 51, if you wanted to check out the rest of that for yourself, which I highly recommend doing. So if God has given children to save parents, it's their responsibility to raise them in the paideia of the Lord. Now, paideia is basically a word that means enculturation. Um, it's an all-encompassing, comprehensive worldview. And it's another way of basically saying, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's Colossians 3.17. Children in the covenant are to be treated differently. They're treasured. They're nurtured, they're loved, they're corrected, and they're instructed how to live every part of their lives for Christ, their king. These are the kinds of children that learn to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and see it as a call to get to work. This is how we win. This is God's plan for victory. Christian parents raising, educating, and loving their covenant children. Given what we know about this glorious doctrine and truth, how could we possibly think about treating Christian children like the heathens? They aren't little heathens. Treat them that way, and more often than not, they grow up to become big heathens. When things get tough, which they of course will, the phrase grab them by their baptism from Matthew Henry comes to mind. That's a huge part of treating covenant children like covenant children. The sign and seal of baptism was placed on them as an infant. They're in the covenant and should be treated that way. Finally, to wrap this up, we need to learn to hope in the one who keeps his covenants. God told us time and time again that the future is a hopeful one. He plans to, quote, turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's Malachi 4, 6. And make the earth, quote, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. And the people of God will be more numerous than all the grains of sand on the beaches of the world. Jeremiah 33.22 and also Genesis 22.17. So let's pray that the church would take her children 
seriously and would tell the coming generations the glorious works of the Lord. Quote, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from, from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Psalm 78, 1 through 4. So hopefully that was insightful, um, gave you some things to think about and discuss. And personally, I think this gets to the root of a lot of the issues that we're seeing, especially on the abortion front. We can approach it from so many perspectives and directions. And I think God created a, a large amount of people with differing brains and perspectives and things to approach it from different angles. But I think that this is an angle we need to consider more frequently because this hits close to home, literally. This is something that we can do every day in our families. And hopefully this, this gave you a direction to go in. And um, if you found this interesting, let us know. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. You can also check out our website, trdshow.net. Um, check out our series. Like we, uh, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there's all sorts of stuff there. Um, but thank you all so, so much for watching or listening to us today. Don't forget, uh, we'll be back on Wednesday when we break down the next three chapters in our book, Prince Caspian, which we've been going through past couple months looking forward to seeing you on wednesday and uh, until then remember everyone in all that you do do it as unto the lord